these guys survived the David Kahn era of Timberwolves basketball and live to tell about it. It's Flagrant Howls. It's going to check for the uh, 70th time today here, Kyle. It's the ESPN.com slash NBA standings. Let's see here. Uh-huh. Here, let me check. Are the Wolves in six? Okay. Let's are see. There, are they in the plane? Let me just uh, check. Top three got to be somewhere in there. Uh, uh, oh. oh, yep. Nope. They're still uh, first place in the West by two games. And most days spent in first place in franchise history. Like, not just like, oh, like two weeks. They've been in first place for two weeks for, let's call it 15 days, 14 days, whatever it is right now. In the previous 34 years of franchise history, they spent 10 days total in 34 years in first place in the Western Conference. We have surpassed that franchise milestone. Let's go. It is Monday, December 4th, and the Minnesota Timberwolves have matched their win total from the 2009-2010 season. Do you know, and people listening to this do, because it's just a awesome group of people that have listened to this that have the most scar tissue do you know how funny that is they do you have the, that roster up uh i did earlier because i was looking Wait, at photos oh, oh so you have so you've looked at it i have not i was looking at, at it because when i sent the tweet about that i had to find a photo but um can i try to guess i, I yeah, have not let me, i'll pull it up and you guess yeah yeah 2009, that was an era where i remember like when i first got into this sort of media game here and it was probably it was like kg's last year or second to last year so it, it was like oh six and i started going getting a credential and going to wolves games i lived you know mm-hmm. minneapolis or downtown area would go walk to wolves games and i remember sitting there through one, there is i can't remember which 15 win season i think it was the first because you said what years oh nine oh ten and 09, then nine oh ten yep there's another but, 16 win season somewhere mixed in there somewhere that there was like a like a what's his name Kurt Rambis season in there somewhere maybe that's the okay, one you're that's talking what, about. that's the one we're talking okay. about yep but I remember sitting through those games like there was some Johnny Flynn games and stuff and somebody from Wolves PR at the time told me you know what you're doing right now like you're like there's four people on press row and I admire that you're here <laughs> and you're paying your dues because when it comes back around now you're gonna like you're gonna know the locker room you're gonna be it never came back around, dude. Like, <laughs> it did not ever come back. It came back around now, and I'm almost 40. When this team figures it out in a couple of weeks, <laughs> you're going to be happy you got first yep. row seats. And it's like, actually, it took, You stuck by. You were loyal this whole time. Took 13 so, years, and someone had to glue themselves to the court for me to finally see a winning team. <laughs> so, okay, 09-10 Wolves. Yep. Big, some big names on this, by the way. Like, this isn't the worst roster of all time. It's still pretty bad in hindsight. And then again, it was coached by, we don't really do this enough in terms of ranking the worst coaches of all time on across the entire league. But I know for a fact with a bullet that Kurt Rambis was one of the five worst NBA head coaches and, of all time, not just in dude, Minnesota. He was supposed to be Phil Jackson's protege. We kind of found out that maybe Phil Jackson's coaching tree is a lot like Bill Belichick's coaching tree, where it's just a lot of Phil Jackson working with Kobe. And the big Bill Belichick working with Tom Brady and all the other assistants are Phil, Phil Jackson. Just where else do I get to drop this? Phil Jackson, notable alum from the University of North Dakota. There so you go. Phil Jackson and I just two two basketball minds chopping it up. But uh, Kurt Rambis was about as far away from a Phil Jackson prodigy as uh, it gets. And David Kahn, uh, Kurt Rambis. But yeah, this was a rookie season for okay. Johnny Flynn. So I'll give you Johnny that Flynn. One, then go out, Kevin go Kevin there. Love. Yep. Okay. How many how many players played like 
20 games or something. How many players? We look at 15 players? Yeah, yeah. Kevin Love. Kevin Love. Al Jefferson? Yes, sir. Right? Mm-hmm. Let's write these down here. Okay. Big Al. K-Love. Uh, Sebastian Telfair? No. He was not on this team. He was gone by that point. Yep. Oh, my God. Uh, but there is Mark another. There Tell is Webster? Not on this team. There is another short point guard, though, that will ring a bell when you say his name, but not Sebastian Telfair. Uh, oh, uh, Randy Foy. Ramon Sessions. Ramon Sessions. Ramon Sessions. Yes. Oh, my apologies, Ramon. Um, yeah. Any other guesses? There's a couple other, like... Dude, there's a... Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, what's his name? Um, there's, a, there's a wing player. Mark Blunt didn't play on that team, did he? Mark Blunt did not play on this team, but you're probably thinking Corey Brewer? Corey Brewer was on that team, right? Ryan, yeah. Ryan Gomes. Ryan Gomes is who there I was go. going yeah, I knew you had Hold on, one. hold on. Okay. Uh, <laughs> this is post-Marco Yarich, right? Yep. yep. Yarich was like 06, 07. Yep. This is before Wes Johnson got there. Um, I'm trying to think of their other drafts. Was your, were Shab McCant still on that team? No, he was. God, they turned on that. keeping up with the Kardashians by then. Uh, Wayne Ellington. <laughs> Wayne Ellington. Damian Wilkins. Sasha Pavlicic played oh. 71 games. Ryan Hollins of ESPN started 27 games. The point of this is, is that the 2009-2010 <laughs> team should have once and for all killed us all. As a fan base, this team should live on the moon. They stuck around, and after a really, I know we're going to get into actual current day Timberwolves and not ones that have retired, but it led to one of the, I always say that the latest win is the most enjoyable, but that Saturday win against the Hornets was, I want to use this opportunity, Phil, to let you know and let Ross know and let the listeners know, I had a setback uh, as a fan. I relapsed. There's about four minutes left in the fourth quarter against the Hornets on Saturday. You were done. Early game, by the way, 2 o'clock tip on the West Coast. Not ideal. Let's not do that again. Uh, They're down four. No Ant. No Jaden. And I looked at my wife, Phil, and I said, yeah, this one's over. They're going to lose. And I have begged and pleaded and been on my soapbox not to do that. And I was like, yeah, this one's over. And then somehow, someway again, three-pointer from Carl. Rudy Gobert making just one possession after another on the defensive end. Hell for the Hornets. Uh, they pulled it off. So I want to admit that I, too, have some scar Can't tissue that's coming it, through. I'm a bad person. I'm a bad fan. But uh, you can't beat this team right now. It, it's truly incredible. Their defense travels wherever they go. They've only beaten the Hornets, I think, six times in Charlotte in the Ever? franchise's history. That's I thought what they said that team was the game, That team was pretty hard to beat in the early days of Wolves basketball. They're even right? harder like, to like beat Larry Johnson Because the Wolves, right. have no, the Wolves <laughs> are, right. struggle so hard when they go down there. But... Uh, what an incredible, again, incredible game. Like, yeah, I think mm-hmm. it was, I think it was four points with like four minutes left, but to just yeah. out-execute them down the, down the stretch, uh, Rudy Gobert, we have to come up with some sort of stat now, like obviously blocks, obviously steals. I don't know, like, can we, I don't know if we call them never minds, but like when players just go into the paint and just like, oh, you know what, never mind, and then just kick it out. Rudy had like six never minds in that game, uh, had one of his best offensive performances of his whole career, 26 points on 10 or 12 shooting. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I slipped up. I said that they weren't going to win that game. They proved me wrong. I'll take my time out. I'll defer to you, but 15 and four best in the West by two games. Uh, and was like it, was it, was it our guy, uh, Chris from the Star Tribune who wrote the parallel from last year's game against Charlotte yeah, where, yeah. where 
a former teammate of Rudy Gobert. You're a legend. That yeah, was a great former way to put that. teammate of Rudy Gobert's was essentially more interested in just like complaining about the offense or whatever. Maybe you can color it in. I was in Palm Springs he, he, drinking all weekend. He was basically like a year ago when they were in Charlotte was the quote of D'Lo saying, if he catch the ball, he scores, which is basically like if he Patrick, catches the ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Patrick Mahomes of like, I'm going to put the ball there. D'Lo can, you know, comparing himself to Patrick Mahomes, basically. I'm going to get him the ball. If he can figure out a way to catch it and not have dried Play-Doh fingers, he'll score. So basically put the onus on Rudy. Uh, Well, you know what, though, D'Lo, like if you were in the right spot on defense, you'd get the stop, too. Like if you're if you're in the right spot on defense, just, you know, that's a big if, though. So you can play that game both ways. And that's what that's I think that that was such a we called it out on this show. But the D'Lo vibes were always off from the minute Rudy Gobert came in. And the fact now that, I mean, everyone in the locker room knows he doesn't have the greatest hands. That's fine. Okay, he's on the team. He's still super valuable. He's better at most things defensively than anybody else in the league, right? And so rather than complaining about the thing that he isn't that great at, which is catching passes in traffic or catching hard bounce passes, how about finding a point guard that embraces Rudy for who he is? And that's a good segue into... The, 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 sorry, the stat porn of the week. Kyle and Phil's stat porn of the week. Uh-oh. Uh, I, I was going to say, going I was gonna say porn of the week, and then I... That'll be on another... <laughs> that's for subscribers only. Uh, we'll have porn of the week, and that'll debut on Tuesday this week. You sent this to me uh, from NBA University on Twitter, and it's the top alley-oop combinations of the season as of two days ago. This is as of December 2nd. And the number one combination is Luka Doncic and Derek Lively. They have 14 alley-oop combinations. Number two is Mike Conley to Rudy Gobert with 10 alley-oop combinations. Tied for number two is Carl Anthony Towns to Rudy Gobert with 10 alley-oop combinations. So Conley and Towns have found Rudy for 20 total alley-oops in the first month of this season. Embrace the things that he's good at. Lobs as opposed to hard bounce passes, right? And and it's it's amazing how the chemistry just sort of you know forges itself now a year later. I love it. It also not that we have to do an official update today. We can do that later for our leadership power rankings. But the Draymond Green stuff when Rudy kind of allowed himself to be memed on the court by getting choked out, you know, and not kind of fighting back, uh, and then another moment like this where he's not really. I mean, what D'Lo said at one point was kind of right like hey rudy doesn't catch well but if rudy would have been like i don't know man if you ever learned how to sprint in transition like i could give you outlet passes like just taking shots at your teammates like that however subtle is big loser mentality and it's not leadership rudy has been really great as a leader i mean 26 points and 12 rebounds and three blocks but let's also mention that he came into the game questionable (laughs) with like back stiffness which again i think the back is what did him in last year but um instead of you know, it's the Hornets, it's one game, we're killing it in the West, whatever, let's just ants out, Jaden's out, let's just rest Rudy. Uh, it sounds like Rudy played a big part, like, no, I'm going to play. Like, I know I was downgraded to questionable, but I'm going to play. And not only did he play, he was, and this is kind of something I wanted to spin back to you, he was, Carl was great, again, 28 points, shot four of eight from three, seven rebounds, five assists. Rudy Gobert was the most valuable player on the court against the Hornets, and if you had to just pick one right now through 19 games that you said that's the only person I can pick for MVP of the team, it's probably between Ant and Rudy. It's Rudy. But I, th- I think it's Rudy. 
I think it's like 55-45, and that's no... Ant will probably come back and take this all over as he pushes towards All-NBA, and this team continues to try to win games. But through 19 games, Rudy Gobert is the MVP not only of this team, but he's probably like one of the five MVP cans in the league. I don't think it's that hot of a take. And I don't like how many times in NBA history has just a straight defensive stopper won the MVP or been close. I mean, Ben Wallace might have gotten so he didn't win an MVP, but Ben Wallace 20 years ago might have been in the conversation. I think mm-hmm. to win MVP, you really do have to be like a and, 25, 30 points per game guy. But yeah, and he won't win it. But it's just if everything he's doing on the defensive end, he's far and away right now the defensive player of the year favorite to win. Mm-hmm. Um, he's anchoring the best defense in the league across pretty much any metric. Uh, but it's his offense, too, that like he's giving them real... I mean, they win that game in part because they just continued to, as NBA University pointed out, find him on lobs. He's unguardable yeah. when they run the correct pick and rolls. I mean, this team is so good defensively getting around screens. But if you start to watch the way that they set screens, like that's one of the, the Rudy Gobert things, right? Screen assist. Like he sets a real screen that gets the guy with the ball an opportunity to create space. And then from there, it's just pick your poison, right? Like Rudy's going to go to the rim. Carl's going to be spaced out. Troy Brown Jr. is going to be spaced out. Ant, Jaden, all those guys. So really impressive stuff. I think he's shooting. I don't think he's shooting a career best or anything from the field, but he's up there in terms of like points per game, Rudy Gobert. So Mm -hmm. he won't win MVP. He won't even be in the conversation come January or February. But for this team, at least, as good as Ant's been, as good as Carl's been, Kyle, Mike, Rudy Gobert has been phenomenal. Um, He's catching the ball. He's scoring the ball. And he's also being a really good teammate out there and not showing up as teammates, which was a trend across the board last year for everyone on the on the roster. Yeah, but if you I agree, he's not the league MVP necessarily. But if you break it down and say, okay, the Timberwolves are currently record wise, I think they're tied with Boston, but they did beat Boston. So if if that was if that was the tiebreaker, say the Wolves have the best record in the NBA today. And the biggest reason why the Wolves have the best record in the NBA today is because they are the best defensive team in the NBA. And the biggest reason why they are the best defensive team in the NBA is Rudy Gobert. So when you follow that logical trail, I'm not saying if you t- if you took Rudy out, he's not the only reason why they're a great defensive no, team. No, 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 no. But, but it's amazing how like you take the best perimeter defender off the floor in Jaden McDaniels, and then you take another really good perimeter defender off the floor in Anthony Edwards, and they still find a way to make life really difficult defensively because Rudy Gobert. I love the stat. I love the nevermind. I think you I found know, it. There's there's another clip. Like Dane put a clip out of. I can't remember who who Dane was dribbling was in the, late last night and posted a bunch of different <laughs> photos or videos. And like the the most egregious one was back in that Jazz game. This is kind of a deep cut, but there was a, a moment where the Keontae George got the ball in the corner, drove. And, like, took a half-step driving baseline like he was going to try to yam on yeah. Gobert. Like, we've seen Ant do it all the time, that collection step. And I've never seen a guy collect to go try to posterize someone and then immediately, like, cancel all production of the poster and tried to, like, underhand the ball and really deflect it and it turned into a steal. But, yeah, against the Hornets, too, there were multiple times where Gordon Hayward would drive in, Terry Rozier, and they'd get into the middle, and it was. It was like a never mind. They just looked, saw Rudy. He wasn't even, like, jumping. He was just physically existed with a birth certificate and they were like no shit we're not doing that and they would spin the ball out and most of the time it led to sometimes an open three but a lot of times it led to just a lesser quality shot yeah that they would miss and then the wolves would get the rebound so his overall impact 
defensively is becoming more and more apparent. It's fun to like watch a game and check out and try to find neverminds. But then offensively too, like I think he was six for nine from the free throw line that game. Hits big timely free throws. He's just yeah. playing. I think the best basketball of his career. Obviously, Jazz fans know way better than I do. But even the Jazz fans that are in my mentions that are kind of coming over, they're like, "This is the best Rudy's ever looked," and we're happy for him. Yeah, and and like the load management thing you you mentioned a couple minutes ago, <laughs> he was listed as questionable with a hip. And you know, okay, we're a month in the season, off to a good start. Certainly not desperate to get this win. You're not there's some teams like the Warriors right now. The Warriors, if the playoffs started today, would be outside the play in bracket. So it's not desperation time for them yet, too, because the season's long. But if you're the Warriors, like you got to get some wins right now. You're nine and 11 and you need to figure out, like, go on like a four game winning streak. If you're the Wolves and you're playing Charlotte, you don't like need that game necessarily to where you're going to play injured players. But I like that they're building an internal culture that doesn't just succumb to, ah, you know what? Ah, you know, my, uh, my leg's a little stiff here today or my back, this or that. Let's lean, let's lean on the side of caution. No, get out there. If, you've, if you're coming off a dynasty or you've, you know, you're the Denver Nuggets and you won a championship last year, all right, just kind of take it easy. Stay in the mix until if you're the Wolves, you've been trying to prove something for 20 mm-hmm. years at this point. Mm-hmm. So I love that everyone's kind of embracing just get out there. If you're questionable and you can go, go play. If you have to play at 80% and kind of, you know, take it easy on some possessions, that's fine. But I love that they're not buying into this load management culture that has just infestated the NBA the last 10 years. And there's more that goes into that, right? Like these team doctors and medical staffs have a pretty big role in this, but as a casual fan or listener like you don't know who they are i don't even know who all the medical staff are but they do like they have meetings like any other corporate job where they sit down with finch and they tell him kind of like hey this is who can go and who can't go and it seems like that side of the everything and the coaching staff are aligned to back to your point that's why i'm so pro finch because he misses challenges and it doesn't always uh get as structured in high leverage moments where i would like it to be more structured but the personal relationships He's not going to let this team that's 15 and four that has matched their win total from 09, 2010, like get big heads. He's going to be like, we haven't done anything. <laughs> like yeah. we could go lose. I've been here long enough. I have this scar tissue. Well, like we could lose our next 10 and be in ninth place in the West. So the fact that he also was like, Hey, if you can go, you got to go. And I'm not going to, you know, have training wheels on you. He played Rudy in terms of a game that Rudy was questionable. He played him 39 minutes. He led the team in, in minutes because again he was the most valuable player on the court that night so yeah yeah i don't i know it seems hyperbolic i was talking to my dad about this about every night now i kind of reference at the alan horton stuff like every night now alan horton tweets out something that's like that doesn't seem real because yeah. this team has been such a dumpster for two decades but i don't think it's hyperbolic to say that there isn't another wolves team dating back to when kevin garnett was traded that would have won that game on saturday it's just one win it would have been just one loss but they just had every excuse in the book again to just be like, let's just mail this in and get back home for a week off. I mean, or at least three, four days off and then a couple home games. And they didn't do it. So we last recorded, I think, before the Jazz game or right around uh, the Jazz game. Thursday, yes. Yeah, it was beat before the, the Jazz game. Beat yeah. the Jazz, who were really bad. Now they've beaten the Hornets. They have a bad Spurs team on Wednesday on ESPN, and then they have a bad Grizzlies team who's a little feistier now. But you and I said, like, you should go 3-1. and one, And yeah. they're 2-0. and oh, And if they go 4-0... and oh, it's another one of those little things where we have to move them up a level and be like, I think they have eliminated 
those ghosts and now they're just a team that takes every game seriously and that'll matter because at some point it'll get weird right at some point they'll lose a guy to a two weeks of an illness or an injury and uh they just next man up mentality and it's really cool to watch but you think about they've already so they they lost ant for a couple games they've lost their best perimeter defender for like three weeks Jaden mcdaniels you know they've already they weren't bit as bad as losing cat for 53 games last year but they've been bit by the injury bug already in the first month and despite that they've just didn't they only lose like one game or two games in the entire month of november two? they lost two games yeah yeah so, I mean, and also, like, this is here's another good segue here, I guess, into just sort of the blueprint by which they are winning these games. And to what extent does a a team that's clearly dominant defensively, but maybe not as good defensively, uh, not as good offensively as they are defensively. If you look historically, can teams like that go on championship runs? We got a great email from a listener, Robbie B. Mm. I want to read you his question. And then I did some research on answering his question this morning that we can look and say, okay, is this, if they keep playing like this, can this actually translate to them going to the NBA finals and maybe winning a championship, which is, we just started talking about this last week for the first time, like wolves and championship. It's super early, but it is plausible. A shout out to our friends over at sound story though. First. So, so, uh, this is the first time we've talked about Sound Story, I believe, on Flagrant Howls. We've been talking about it on Purple yep. Daily. A lot of the audience knows that my grandfather, for instance, who died 15 years before I was born, he played football at Notre Dame. He fought in World War II. He uh, he was what they call a barnstorming pitcher, like an amateur ball pitcher. It's kind of a semi-pro thing, like in the 1930s. And he pitched against guys like Satchel Page. So he has all these amazing stories and sports accomplishments and everything. But nobody sat down and recorded anything with him because it was the 1930s and 40s and 50s. He died 15 years before I was born. So I don't know what his voice sounds like. That's where Sound Story comes in. It's like a podcast in which the guest is one of the most important people in your life, your grandparents, your parents, whoever it may be. They sit down with a professional interviewer or me. I'm on that list. (laughs) If they want to select me, go to mysoundstory.com, promo code PURPLE. And get the holiday special of 10% off a gift certificate for Sound Story. We'll capture all their stories for future generations of your family. It'll be a great professional experience. And um, you can have that content for the rest of your life and your kids' life and grandkids. MySoundStory.com. Go to the Minneapolis-St. Paul section. Promo code PURPLE. And uh, you get 10% off a gift certificate for Sound Story. Uh, one more shout-out. Oh, go ahead. Jump in. I was just going to say, you. that is... a. Uh... I heard you drop that originally last week when you were on a heater and you uh, interviewed Joe Buck on Purple Daily. That was but a blast. That, was that whole, everything that Phil just said, rewind, listen to it, give it a sh- chance. Um, that really means a lot to me. I think it's a really cool company. Obviously, I appreciate the sponsors and the support, but uh, I try not to give too much personal information. But like I've told you before offline, like I've got a grandpa situation right now, severe dementia going downhill. Like, oh, man. Having yeah. those abilities to hear those stories, uh, we downplay age a lot and just you know our grandparents are our grandparents but they have lived lives like us right like other generations have so much to tell and enlightenment and just all these stories so that is a really cool thing whether you like you said had a professional interviewer or someone like phil uh anyone that can really just get those <laughs> stories told but uh that is a really cool opportunity and i highly suggest people using that promo code and just checking it out because uh you don't know what you got until it's gone type thing and 
being able yeah. to have your grandparents or loved ones or other generations record some stuff is really cool. So I've saved like voicemails from my, my parents Same. are both gone. Yeah. Just saving saving voicemails is kind of kind of comforting to go back and listen. Also, Zero Res is a partner here at mm. Score North. Uh, especially during the holidays when you know your house gets a little dirtier. You got family gatherings, you got maybe it's mud or snow being tracked in at some point, knock on wood. But make sure your home is ready for holiday gatherings with zero res. 4.9 out of five-star rating mm. on Google with over 17,000 reviews. If you go to zeroresminnesota.com or 9520res, tell them you want the Score North special. Get three rooms zero resified starting at just $129. And this month, get $75 off when you get your air ducts cleaned at 9520res. Or zeroresminnesota.com. Ask for the Score North special. Spell it forwards or backwards. It spells the same. Zero res. So, okay. Emailer Robbie B. He says, for us basketball noobs, can you break down the projected championship success of an offensive first versus a defensive first team? Does defense win championships in the NBA or is scoring more important? Looking at how excited we can get about the Wolves' current formula. So I will say just broadly in most sports, baseball, basketball, football, you need to be good enough at both of those things, like mm -hmm. scoring points, preventing points in baseball, scoring runs, preventing runs. Now, the more elite you are at one thing, the more leeway there is on the other side to maybe, you know, like last year's Nuggets, they were 14th in defensive net rating. Which, from what I can tell, I did 20 years of digging on this. Last year's Nuggets team was the worst defensive team in 20 years of NBA champions. Now, they made up for it by being a top five offensive team mm -hmm. net rating and having this unicorn player who's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer in Nikola Jokic. So sometimes if you just have like the best player in the NBA on your team, it kind of trumps like your net rating. Now, you can't be 25th net rating defense and expect to go forward with a championship. But I just want to give you going back to 2003. So 20 years of history, the defensive net rating of every NBA champion. I am taking out the Warriors and Cavs era, and I'm taking out the super team heat era because like those teams were all really good in these rankings, mm -hmm. but impossible to duplicate, right? Like those yep. are like dynasty teams. Basically, if you have Steph Curry or LeBron James, we're just going to kind of like take you out of the equation for, for some of these. So Nuggets, 14th in defensive net rating. The Warriors, two years ago, I'm adding them back in because that was a, like tail end of yeah. dynasty, different yep. type of deal, right? First in defensive net rating. Defense drove that championship for the Warriors. Now, of course, they're still splashing around, but dude, they were 17th in offensive net rating that year. Mm -hmm. Defense was the driver. The Bucks. 10th in defensive net rating, 5th on offense, so kind of like the Nuggets. The Lakers in uh, the pandemic year, 3rd in defensive net rating. Raptors, kind of an asterisk championship there, but they were 5th in defensive net rating. These are all top 5 offenses too, which is worth noting. Okay, we're going to skip the Warriors and Cavs finals for a second. 2014 Spurs, 3rd in defensive net rating. We're going to remove now the LeBron Heat uh, 2 championships. Those are super teams. We're just going to put them off to the side. 2011 Mavericks, seventh in defensive net rating. 2010 Lakers, fourth. 2009 Lakers, sixth. 2008 Celtics, number one in defensive net rating. Spurs in 2007, second in defensive net rating. 
The Heat in 06, where it was a young Dwayne Wade, uh, ninth in defensive net rating. Spurs in 05, first. Pistons 04, second. Spurs in 03, third. So it doesn't mean that because you're top one, two, or three, you're going to win a championship. But it seems to me it's pretty important that if you're going to win a championship, you better damn well be one of the two, three, four, five best defensive teams in the NBA, Kyle. Yeah, I think I appreciate Robbie B reaching out. I think he meant to send send that email to Dane uh, because those are where where they really break down more numbers. This is the uh, I Got Hit by a Car podcast. But I will say, ironically, (laughs) that before the Hornets game, so this was Friday after the Jazz win, but Dane and I recorded... And we actually kind of talked about the same thing, just like a 20% of the season snapshot of where they're at. And they were, as of last Friday, I think first in defense and 11th in offense. Uh, and the only reason we really kind of dove into that is because st- like, typically, if you're top 10 in both those categories, you're pretty much a contender. And there's yeah. not that many teams that are top 10 in both defense and offense. Now, this yep. is obviously talking a little bit more about net defensive rating. But yeah, if you're top 10 in those two areas... Uh, and again, is it sustainable? Like, yes, they've done it for 20% of the season, but can they finish the rest of, you know, 80% of the season? They haven't had Jaden for like a good chunk of those mm-hmm. games, right? Uh, the offense, going back to that Hornets game, man, I don't really know if they've played good basketball on the offensive end for like weeks now. And that's no. like, if they start to lose two, three in a row and I have to shave my mustache, then it'll be concerning, but they're just kind of like figuring it out on the fly. I would love to see them play better <laughs> on offense. I'd like to see them, I mean, they got... 20 to nothing, I think, in fast break points against the Hornets and still won. Um, there's a lot to clean up, but overall, to what you just said, if you're highly ranked in at least one of those categories, defensive net rating, but also maybe, you know, offense as well, it just kind of leads to success in the playoffs, right? Like, yes, you still have to hit big shots and big moments, but I think what you just did there, pulling out those kind of unique teams that we don't we don't have super teams right now in, in the NBA mm-hmm. like there might be teams that have a lot of big names on it but you know the Clippers are like ninth or eighth that's in not the a West. super that's yeah, not a super yeah. team so that's I think the expendables basically I, it's like, yeah. It's like, yeah it's like if the old Avengers Sylvester had like a yeah. year high school reunion <laughs> no so I think Robbie's got a good point that if you're trying to figure out okay are they just winning a bunch of games early on in the season when everyone else is still trying to figure it out or are they actually doing something that I mean this is I was thinking about this over the weekend. The Timberwolves are like historically a penny stock that has only been owned by losers like me. And I don't mean that in like a bad sense. It's like we are losers because we've lost tons of money and tons of time and probably lots of friends along the way. Mm -hmm. But now the stock is so expensive that people are trying to figure out like, do I buy in or is it going to crash? And what you just said or what these numbers are showing, it's probably going to at least, you know, stay the same or it's going to continue to grow because they're playing good defense and they're pretty good offensively. But they have so much room to grow and so much room. I mean, they don't always take their opponents seriously towards the end of games. I know you can factor out some garbage time and stuff too, but this is just a team that continuously is locked in defensively and it ties into chemistry. It ties into coaching, Elston Turner, all that stuff. But if this is the type of defense that they're going to play, Phil, for the next 63 games or whatever, they're going to win 55 games. Yeah. That's just, I mean, because defense right now as you're learning with size and defense those are the things that game in and game out can win you games even if you have a bad shooting night and the, the wolves have had a lot of bad shooting nights yeah another exercise we could kind of flip it around and do like go look at all of the number one defensive net rating teams in the nba going back mm-hmm. like 20 or yeah. 30 years and see okay how far did they go collectively did 
what percentage of them won the championship? What percentage of them there? Because I, as I was digging through, I think the Magic team that got beat by the Lakers in the finals in like 09, I'm pretty sure that was a top two defensive net yep. rating team as well with like Dwight Howard and and some of those players. Like last year, for example, the Cavaliers and the Grizzlies were the best in their conferences defensive net rating. And we all kind of know how that ended for the Cavaliers especially, right? And then Celtics and Bucks, but the Chicago Bulls were a top five defensive net rating team, and obviously were not anywhere close to title contenders. So it does kind of vary. It you need to have like if you're going to be a great defensive team, awesome. You also will need, especially when the game gets into more of a half court style in the playoffs. Now you're you're being scouted every other day in a seven game series, and they know what you know that they know what you know. Like it gets really deep. You might just need Anthony Edwards to bail you out of some of these games. And that's what some of these teams have, right? Like the Milwaukee Bucks, great defensive team. Oh, and Giannis can just like bail them out yeah. by scoring 35 or 40 points and and being a machine. Or, and now Damian Lillard. But the Wolves have that, dude. Like that's the thing. They've got the high-end offensive talent where if the other team is locking you down defensively too, can Anthony Edwards just like rise up and hit a jumper with a hand in his face with a minute, 15 seconds left? Like, yes. For this team, the answer is yes. And this isn't offensive or defensive rating, but just kind of lumping all these stats together and just making a stat porno is basically they're also seven and one right now in clutch time, which leads the league. And that goes back to what you just said of they just play good defense, right? They might not shoot well, but when it gets down to, I think clutch time is like within five points in the last four minutes or whatever. Yeah. I mean, seven and one, they're just out executing people. I mean, again, against the Hornets on Saturday, I think they were down four and they're called a timeout. They come out, Finch draws up a really good play that gets Carl an open three. And how many times now through just a 19-game sample size do you remember off the top of your head Carl just hitting a big three, right? Like down the stretch, like Mm -hmm. they're down three, they need a bucket. They're down two, they take the lead. So they still haven't figured it out. They're going to have to incorporate Jaden in. I I would hope that maybe once this thing kind of balances out, we're 30, 40 games in, they're starting to unlock Jaden a little bit more because that's just another guy who can find Rudy on the lob, can get his own shot, can stretch the floor with threes in the corner. So it's people keep asking me, right? This is like Grandma Rita from last week. Can they do this? Is it sustainable? Um, are you going to have to take all your PTO in April, May, and June uh, to travel around and watch this team make a finals run? I think the answer is yes. And we have seen nothing through 19 games that would prove otherwise other than the name on the front of the jersey still scarring people and making them think that this is a flash in the pan. Yeah. Amen. I, I I need to see a couple more months before I start to say for sure, like this is a, a team that's going to go to the finals. I mean, the, the Nuggets are still going to be incredibly formidable, but I will give you this. It is not a laugh out loud conversation anymore. And it would have been probably a month ago because a month ago, the conversation was much more about, okay, can they avoid the play in, you know, and the NBA too, you pointed this out last week. It's rare that you would skip steps mm-hmm. in the NBA yeah. and they might find out, dude, like this, there's a good chance they could be a 58 or a 60 win team, win a playoff round and, but they're, and they're favored in the second round, but they just run into like a team that's been there before the nuggets. It's, I don't think the warriors beat them in a seven gamer, but like a wily team that's been there, done that. And they, and they win a game six or a game seven or something. And then they're forced to go through the linear steps of progression that, historically you have to go through in the NBA. It's my biggest concern is that when I watch the NBA in general, you just don't often see a team 
Like you've like the Kings did it last year, right? They came out of nowhere and they won a bunch of games. And then when it, the screws tightened in the playoffs and they had to go up against a more proven team in the Warriors, it kind of fell apart. Uh, so that's a real thing. This isn't just going to be some moonwalk to the NBA Finals. But, mm-hmm. uh, but Conley, Gobert, Kyle Anderson, like some of these guys that are on your team have played a total of like combined 150 playoff games in their careers. So but, and And yes, and then the counter to that that would be devil's advocate is that how many playoff games have like Jaden, Ant, and Carl played? It's probably like what? 35 or 40 yeah and that's those are gonna be the guys that you really need to hit the big shots so they're also a mike conley injury away from being like we don't have a point guard at all so there are some issues that i hope that they figure out i'm sure they'll make a move at the deadline we're getting ahead of ourselves tyus 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 or just just let leonard miller out of the cage man can he play point guard (laughs) he can play he can coach he can make trades he can do whatever but no there's there's still some concerns but what else, I mean, I don't know. I don't want my team to peak in December, right? And I don't want my team to be like, well, there's still concerns and meat on the bone, but they're 11 and 10. Uh, they're 15 and 4 for a reason. Their defense has carried them throughout. Their ability to execute uh, in the last four minutes of games has been huge. But they're going to, if they keep playing like they are now, kind of just not coasting by or any of that stuff, but just doing enough to win, that's great. But it's going to bite them again. It's mm-hmm. because they're not, they still haven't figured out offensively like, is it a coincidence, Phil, that Rudy had his best game of the season when Ant wasn't out there? You know, like Ant still struggles to find Rudy as well as like a Kyle or a Carl or Mike does. So little things like that need to be figured out. But I'm sure Finch loves that because he would hate if his guys were playing a A-plus basketball in December. He, he'll, he'll find a way to unlock that other letter grade. But uh, for now, B has been good enough. Mm-hmm. By the way, I did just for fun stumble into Washington Wizards Reddit here just to see what they're saying about oh, Tyus Jones. Be, yeah. You have to type a password. And there's a, it's, it's, shockingly, it is open to the public here. Um, there is a long thread about who they should trade, who or what they should trade Tyus Jones for. Because I think he's an expiring contract, right? Mm-hmm. Pretty sure he's a free agent after this year. And he's mm-hmm. just stuck on that Wizards team right now. It's, it's one of the saddest basketball stories. That sounds so dramatic. But the Wizards are such an unserious basketball oh, God, team yeah. with who they're leaning into kind of building around at this point i mean they're trying to tank they're going to do the whole salary thing it'll take years but three and 16 right now it's a jordan pool and kyle kuzma led team and kyle kuzma had some success in la and obviously pool had some success with the warriors but those that success was probably tied to older more mature players um tyus jones is like one of the most professional he's gonna wind up as a a 25 minutes probably back up if he wants to if he wants to play for a winning team he probably has to be coming off the bench but Dude, I could see him. Oh, he'd be so perfect behind Conley. He would. Because yeah. you could probably get away with him as your starting point guard like in a year. If you could find a way to make it work contractually, you'd have to. Man, their luxury tax issues are going to be tough. But dude, Tyus as a backup for the second half of this year to Conley. Mm, that might be the final piece. You, and you probably have to give up something. This isn't just going to be Shake Milton in a couple seconds. You're going to have to maybe dangle. Because. You know who else wants Tyus Jones? 28 other teams, right? Like, he, yeah, is his best Would you role. trade your guy Leonard Miller? No. Not a chance. I think well, there's there's not enough time today in our <laughs> schedules to do the Leonard Miller talk. Timberwolves yeah. Clips, great uh, account on Twitter for anyone that's still on there. Go check Twitter Timberwolves Clips out. Leonard Miller had this ridiculous step-back three the other night for the Iowa Wolves. Passes. Just he's, he, is, he will be their next Kyle Anderson. Uh, I don't know when he's going to replace Kyle in the rotation maybe next year when the salary cap and all that stuff comes Dude, into play. But what if it was, okay, 
and we'll we'll do this episode like for let real. Let me just cancel my one o'clock. Let's just do an. Oh, hour do you have a one? Okay, no, you no, have no, to go right now. No, let's just keep. Let's go ninety more minutes on Leonard Miller. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, dude, what if it was? Because this this thread has a bunch of Wizards fans wanting draft capital, right? They want a first round pick. But what if what if it was Tyus to the Wolves, Kyle Anderson to a third team, third team gives a first round pick, and you might have, you'd have to make it something else like a couple pieces thrown in for the salaries or whatever but like would you essentially trade kyle anderson for tyus oh <laughs> I, I try not to get try not to pause or get stumped on these podcasts kyle, I, half I, of kyle's value to me is is kind of playing backup point guard organizer like he's a floor general who also but the things you need kyle to do are be a floor general and direct traffic, knock down open shots, which sometimes he doesn't have a quick enough trigger for, right? And be like intangibles glue guy. Tyus does all those things, but he's obviously smaller and plays different position. I think Kyle Anderson's number one role on the team right now today, and you saw it against the Hornets. I think Finch is using him as a defensive stopper in tight moments mm-hmm. until he gets Jaden back. Obviously no Ant either, but when they didn't have a... I don't know if you watched that, that game, but he gave Nikhil, after Nikhil had such a big game against the Jazz, he gave Nikhil a really short leash uh, yeah. and just didn't trust him. So even in like that last, one of the last possessions, I thought they put Nikhil on Terry Rozier. Yeah, they just the, put, it's, his size is, is his ability super to move impactful. His feet. Um, he also doesn't shoot threes. Like he, It's not even the slow release and stuff. I don't know if it's vision related. He sometimes wears the goggles. He sometimes doesn't. But Kyle Anderson just doesn't shoot threes, and that is... A little bit of a detriment. He finds creative, slow ways to to solve that riddle. But when yeah. he's out there with like a Shake Milton and a Rudy Gobert, that's a lot of non-shooters because Shake is really struggling. So I don't know. I'm, I'm gonna have to marinate on that. We have a couple months, um, but I still think even though Kyle Anderson might be on the chopping block next summer, he just still, man, he is backup point guard, defensive stopper, a little rim protector. Even though he's not shooting, I mean, he really is like this team's Draymond Green in a little bit of a sense, yeah. Uh, minus the whole choking opponents. So he, I don't know if they would do that. As much as I know, Tyus is like the be-all, end-all fit behind Mike Conley, future point guard. They might just have to find lesser ways to address that because, again, if it was just the Wolves and the Wizards, they'd probably make it, find a way to make a deal. Throw Wendell Moore in there. but um, Oh, man. By the way, he's shooting 30% in the G League right now. Well, I mean, Dacian Nick's just supplanted him in the rotation right like that's not great for Wendell but champagne problems we're talking about bench guys and, and future draft capital and all that stuff but Tyus would be great I just imagine another team out there will will find more assets to give up for him so this might just be what they need but they still need a score they still need someone to upgrade the shake Milton role if he's not going to kind of figure it out uh, I think Finch wants to make that work but yeah um we'll see I will just I was looking at my notes here there's one other thing to go back to the stat porn because you'll love this more than anyone. The Wolves currently have two. The Wolves have three centers, right? Nas, mm-hmm. Carl, and Rudy. The Wolves have two centers that, as of this morning, are shooting 50, 40, 90. Wow. And then the other center is the defensive player of the year. Think like, about that's, that. And that's a, like, the thing about like the size thing, too. That would be my biggest hesitation with Kyle, Kyle Anderson, mm-hmm. potentially like using him as a trade chip because you just got you've got these versatile dudes who can go out there and just they can they can guard 
more than you would think. Like mm-hmm. Rudy's guarding on the perimeter this year. Mm-hmm. Nas has gotten the last two years progressively better at just guarding different places. I mean, this is the best season Cats had defensively. And Kyle Anderson can be versatile. He can guard essentially anybody you need on the floor, too. So if they can make the size thing continue to work the way it is, it would be hard to take size off of the team. Like, it would be hard to say, we're going to re- we're gonna reduce size at the trade deadline and kind of cross our fingers that we're we're adding more value in this trade, right? So that I think the the size thing is be Boy, careful this, with that. The size thing, we're 43 minutes in. We should have brought this up <laughs> at the top. Finch is on such a heater right now as a coach. Does little things, they'll still drive you crazy. I get that. Not all the challenges are up to him. He's got a team, but when he needed to just pull a rabbit out of his bleep on Saturday, he just went Nas, Carl, and Rudy. Mm-hmm. Like that is, I haven't seen that much size since like the All Star game sixteen years ago when Shaq and Yao Ming and everyone else started just for funsies. Yeah, uh, he went massive front court and it really paid off. They Nas can move his feet on the perimeter, like you said, Carl can too. Rudy's out there, and then they just don't give up offensive rebounds and their size and their length. So, yeah, I don't know. It's a great question. Tie us for Kyle. Figure out the rest of this stuff, but yeah. the way that this team—I mean, this is another first world problem—but they just don't trust their young guys yet. They're so focused on winning games, which I love. Let's win games. But mm-hmm. Leonard Miller probably can't become Kyle Anderson until he gets, you know, like his new employee modules completed. And he's not anywhere as close to being in this rotation. So, yeah, they're going to go with the vets and continue to grind out wins. And uh, that's good enough for me. Hey, last two or three minutes here. Hit us with uh, a Kyle's question of the week. Oh, this is going to probably be the one that really tears apart the people who like me and already don't like me, but I just want to ask you and maybe Ross, if you're in the background too, I'm just curious, how do you feel? And there's context here. How do you feel about people who back into parking spots? Oh, okay. Ross, come on. I need you here to like, just I'm, now there's a difference between like when you're at a target or you're at the gym no. or the grocery store and you pull in to like a parking spot. So you, you pull, pull through. through, pull through, totally fine. Don't mind that. But just in general, people that back into parking spots, how do we feel? I will tell you that there's only one circumstance in which I will back into a parking spot. And I have a, I have a, I just have a, a Hyundai SUV, so like okay. a midsize SUV. And it's at Target Center in the ramp. When I go to a game, I try to find the closest parking spot right across from like the ramp exit mm-hmm. so that I can just go right out. And if there's okay. a line of cars, you can kind of poke your nose out, uh, your nose out, and then they will let you out. I will back into the parking spots that are close to the ramp exits, so that I don't have to worry about like backing up into a line of traffic and hoping they let me in. Otherwise, it's a waste. Of, like it's you're wasting everyone's time, right? Like what? Because it's, qu- it's quicker to get out. Yeah, but it took you forever to get in, and we're all waiting for you. You know, some of my friends, it's a lot of East Coasters too. They're like, well, I get out quicker. It's like, yeah, but it takes you three X to get into that thing. And like, if right. I'm waiting behind you and then like you don't put your blinker on or like you pull up a little bit past the spot, then I yeah. get enticed like, oh, this might be my opportunity to get a good spot. But now there's road rage. Now you're in like, a fight. Yeah. So I first, first off, Kyle, it's the progressive commercial personified right here. People who 90 degree back up. And I am one of them, full disclosure. Wow. We are, all, we are already worried about leaving before we're even finished parking. Okay, that's currently at. Okay. Also, but now, so now you're backing into a parking spot, and now, so now you're going to open your. Where are you going to put your cart? You're going to bring your cart like between the cars. Oh, but hang on though. This is where I do agree with you guys. I don't want a 90 degree backup if it's going to hinder somebody else getting into a parking lot. Then I will just pull in and I'll deal with it. 
But I am a huge fan of the pull-through. I also, uh, my 90-degree backup is one of the things I'm the most prideful about. I drive an old beater car. I have no cameras. I can 90-degree backup right away without any issue most of the time. It's actually more beneficial if you have cars to 90-degree backup between than actual just empty parking spots. I back in because like, you can just bounce off them and like bumper bowling. Is that what no, you're talking? No, but it's just easier to see. You can see where you're backing up. Where if there's just lines on the ground, sometimes you have to pop the door open and see where you're at. But yeah. Kyle, you and I differ here. I am big into the 90 degree backup, but I don't want to stop anybody from getting to where they're going. So well, I that- will. I will heed to that. Even in Phil's scenario, like if I'm pulling up to Target Center and there's a lot of people in the ramp, Phil, if you pull past that spot. And now you're going to throw it in reverse. Like, I might have pulled up a little too much because I think I'm going to get that spot. And now all hell is broken loose oh, in the but, snake. And you like, got to put your blinker but if I, But I'm getting to the arena like an hour before the game. And there's no, there's not like a okay. line behind me. You know what okay. I'm saying? That's fair. And I, yeah. and I should add to, like, Ross, I'm driving an 08 Wrangler. So I don't have some of this cool technology that you Gen Zers have. But wait, re- reverse cam is going to change your guy's life. I can't wait for it. I can't And wait by the way, it. reverse cam, this is, see, I didn't know this about Ross. When you have reverse cam, you're a lot less likely to back into a parking spot to start with because you know that you can just like your reverse cam is peripheral. Oh, 100%. So, so you I just, agree with that. It'll beep if there's cars coming. So you just back up. And if there's cars coming, it'll beep at you. And, you, you know, keep an eye out. I'm not saying you shouldn't watch where you're going. My but. team, my team over here is still focused solely on trying to fix tipping culture and the dreaded. It's just going to ask you a couple questions question that is on every iPad across the country. But um, once we hear that, we're going to talk about backing into parking spots. Ross, you might be good at it, but I think you're taking up my time. And I think yeah. you're giving me just a little bit of a clue. They're like, oh, I could maybe get that spot. And then, note, here comes Ross backing it up, blinker and all. We're going to have to yeah. figure and this out offline. the whole thing. Yeah. Are you with me, though, Kyle, when you ride with somebody who drives a nice new car like Phil and their car starts beeping? You're like, whoa, what's going on? Yeah, oh, yeah. What's going on? Yeah, I mean Phil's car is so nice. It probably like makes like breakfast and stuff. He's got his coffee in there and he gets it so in the nice. morning. But, yeah, uh, so nice. Not all of us, these Jeep Wranglers, man. I live, I ride, I am, but uh, <laughs> I, I do not back into parking spots. How, so. However, uh, if you are not pulling through, that is a big mistake on your end. That makes it's a felony, so and you should be easier. arrested. <laughs> yes, you ever try? You ever right. think think someone's gonna pull through and they don't? And now you've and you've kind of trailed them and they oh, stop. Oh, the like that yeah. That's the worst. Terrible. That's All right, we got to go here. Flagrant Howls. We're solving the world's problems, the Timberwolves' problems, which are very few. Uh, if you could give us a five star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, you can help us grow this show. And click the like button and the subscribe button on the Score North YouTube channel. That's Kyle. I'm Phil, producer Ross. Your favorite Timberwolves lifestyle podcast.